0: As you take your seats, I invite you to turn your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, where we will be looking at verses 12 through 19. Now once again, uh, just as last week we noted that the beginning of the text really helps ground us in this time of Advent, um, our text this morning also has an Advent clue within it. Uh, it is not by happenstance uh, that the Hardings read uh, from Isaiah 11. See if you, if you remember his reading from Isaiah 11. Um, see if you can see where in our text in 1 Peter, Peter references Isaiah 11 in order to encourage us as God's people. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as your people who do indeed experience to varying degrees. that crushing load load of life, that experience of bending low, of toil along a climbing way with painful steps that are slow. And so indeed, help us, Lord, to hear your voice afresh this morning, even as we long to be formed and shaped by the singing voices of the angelic choirs, of the singing and prayers that are offered by the departed saints who who surround your heavenly throne. And as you give yourself to us over and over and over again through this word, this word that was a word that became flesh, a word that you continue to use as a conduit of your person, and of your power to us. And so help us receive it in all faith, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we noted last week, Advent is this time of waiting. As Peter says in the, in the text from last week, from 1 Peter 4, the end of all things has come. The end of all things is at hand, that we live in the final stage of God's redemptive program. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and that original preaching of the gospel, that though man had sinned, that though man in that sin had disqualified himself from living in God's unmediated glory, that God would do what was necessary to bring us back. That his purposes of glorifying his name for all eternity by having a people who reflect his glory, he was not going to allow our sin and our rebellion to ruin what he wants. And so he promised to us long ago that a seed would come from the woman. And this seed would be the conquering king that we would need to overcome all of God's and our enemies, including sin and death itself. Well, as God's program of redemption has been unfolding through history, you and I live in that final stage where we know more. Think about this. We know more about who God is, what God has been doing. We know more about what is on God's heart than any who have lived throughout history within the church. We live in this final stage of redemption where Christ has come in this initial advent that we celebrate. But it is an advent that we have to remember was marked By humility. That seed of the woman coming, but coming as a servant. Being born in a manger. Being born the king of kings, and yet there was nothing in the visible presentation of his entrance into this world that would reflect that. And that humility that would be experienced by taking on flesh by living in a hostile world, by being faithful to his father, even in the midst of resistance and rejection. And a humility that would finally reveal itself completely in suffering and having our sin imputed to him on the cross and him dying. It was a first advent that came in in this final culmination of what God had promised, but it did not come as expected. It didn't come in great outward pomp and circumstance, and it didn't come in, in a great revelation of military strength and power. The one who is high and lifted up, who dwells in the eternal, came low and dwelt with man taking flesh upon himself, and even taking our sin. An advent that was marked by humility, and yet was the means by which the glory that had always been promised would actually come and be experienced by sinful men and women who were made new in Jesus Christ. The second advent to which we anticipate, that we look forward to, it is going to be that advent that is marked by outward glory, that is going to be marked by outward power, that is going to be marked by our King coming, and with the mere speaking of His words, is going to set everything right. And as Peter says, we live between these two advents. And so last week we noted, all right, so as those who live between these two Advents, who are waiting in between these two comings of our Savior, what does our waiting look in relationship to one another within the church? Where our waiting was to be, if we are told, is to be marked by a heavenly thinking that promotes prayer, it is to be marked by a heavenly loving that helps preserve the peace of the church. It is to be marked by heavenly hospitality that uh, that does not include complaining. It is to be marked by heavenly service from a diversity of gifts and that all of this When the church waits in this fashion, we participate in the doxological, eternal purposes of the triune God. Isn't it fun to say fancy stuff like that? It means this. What Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wanted from the beginning, that our sin had disqualified us from, we now get to enjoy even though the fullness has yet to come. When we wait in this way, as Peter described, in living with and towards one another, in this way, we live and participate in a doxological life, a life that is lived out to the glory of God in all things, as Peter tells us. But our waiting doesn't only consists, or, or, or that waiting is, doesn't just look like those, that, that way of interacting with one another. The doxological life, as we anticipate the second coming of Christ, is not only marked by this living this way towards one another. It consists in experiencing suffering. Our waiting is to look a certain way. But our waiting is also going to include something that is so counterintuitive to what we think. Hold up. You just said that Christ has fulfilled the promises that God made. That Christ has been victorious over our enemies of sin and death and the devil. If that's the case, if we live in this time of victory, why would victory be experienced in suffering? And that is because the greater purposes of the doxological intentions of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been that we would not just simply get good things from Him, but that we would experience the goodness of him as those united to him, as those drawn into the shared life and love and mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this is remarkable because what this means, as we said last week, is that the servant is not greater than the master. And that as our future and our hope is tied to the life and reality of our master, so too is our experience of the master as we wait for his second coming. We experience life as those who participate in that pattern of his humility and suffering that leads to glory. Now, I wish I could stand here and say that it would be different. I don't want that. I don't know about you. You may be more spiritual than me. But I don't want that. But that's what God says. And so Advent is this beautiful period of time, beloved, when we contemplate these things from this perspective precisely so that we can do what Peter tells us we are to do in this period of waiting where waiting is marked by suffering, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. Now, there's lots of different reasons I could give you for that rejoicing right here from this text. But note that what we are told here as God's people is that when we are united to Christ... We're united to his sufferings. We're united to his glory. And then we are told that when we experience suffering or persecution because of our union with Jesus Christ, he tells us, right, in verse 15, that we should rejoice in this because this means that the spirit of God and his glory is upon us. Now, did you catch the reference? Did you catch the reference back to Isaiah 11 as I read that? Where Isaiah 11 and this great promise of the coming Messiah, this one who would come from the branch of David, the branch of Jesse, who would be a king in the lineage of David, that he would come... And in order for him to accomplish God's purposes for him as Messiah, the Spirit of God would rest upon him. That even Jesus, who was the second person of the Trinity, was upheld and strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit for him accomplishing his earthly mission. And what Peter tells us this morning is that our union with Christ is so intimate that the same empowering spirit that rested upon the Messiah is the empowering spirit that rests on you and me. Have you contemplated before? Have you thought about in your prayer time, in your time of worship, have you reflected on the, the amazing reality that this mission of God indeed has been a mission of the Trinity? That it wasn't just Jesus on, on his own accomplishing things, but the Father and the Spirit working together with Christ to accomplish these eternal purposes where Jesus himself was empowered by the Spirit. Where Jesus himself, because of his union with the Father and with the Spirit, was empowered, was strengthened, was given everything that he needed so that he would be faithful. Faithful in obedience to his Father. Faithful in devotion to His Father. Faithful in keeping the law. Faithful in not shrinking back when He would face resistance. Faithful in not shrinking away when He came to His own, as John tells us in John 1, and His own received Him not. Think about that. The God of all eternity taking on flesh and coming to his people and his people going, "Eh, nah, we don't like this version. You see, you and I are not the only ones who don't like that version of the Christian life. They didn't like it either. And it led them to reject the one who was coming to them in the humility that was needed for him to be identified with his humbled people in order that he might exalt that humbled people. He came. He came in humility. He came in obedience. But all of that was facilitated by the strengthening of the Spirit. Now, here's what Peter is saying to you this morning. If that's the strengthening that Jesus himself had in order for him to live out his life and faithfulness, then rejoice when you suffer and participate in the suffering of Christ because you also participate in the same strengthening that he himself had. The same strengthening Holy Spirit that gave Jesus his strength and his power is the same spirit that you and I have when we are found to be united in Jesus Christ. Why can we rejoice in suffering? Because our suffering, one, is a participation in the life of our Savior that leads to glory. Right, Jesus suffered and it led to his glory. And what it means to be united to him is that we experience his suffering in order that we also share in his glory. But as we share in his suffering, we do so with the same empowerment of the Holy Spirit that he himself had during his suffering. The Advent tells us not only what our waiting looks like towards one another, the Advent reminds us of what our waiting looks like as God relates to us in Jesus Christ. You have been born of the Spirit, and the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells within each and every one of you if you are in Christ. And the same thing that he was doing within the Son, he is doing within you. So what does this mean for our waiting? Well, Peter tells us several things. I want to just highlight three. And there's so much more that I wish we could get into here. Lord willing, we'll maybe look at some of that next week. But if the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you, if that's the empowerment that you have in Jesus Christ to endure his sufferings in order to receive his glory, then first of all, Peter tells us, we have to prepare ourselves for the suffering you see being in christ having our condemnation for sin taken care of it doesn't mean that we don't experience hard things in fact the pattern that god has revealed to us in the old testament is that as the Messiah would come, as Messiah would be empowered by the Holy Spirit himself, that he would come as one who would experience trials and suffering himself that the writer of Hebrews tells us is the means by which he was sanctified. That Jesus, the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 5, that Jesus was the one who learned obedience as a son of, Through suffering. That Jesus himself, who was one who was not sinful, still was refined by his father. And he learned his obedience through suffering. And what we are told in Malachi 3 is that the one who would come would be himself a refining fire For God's people. And we're told in Zechariah 13 that what God was going to do in refining his people is that there would be this remnant of his people who would be refined through trial and suffering in order for their faith to be purified. This is the Old Testament expectation that is part of Advent. Not just that Jesus would come. And take care of everything. And we just sit over on the sideline and clap. Thank you, Jesus. We do do that. But we have such a more intimate participation in these things. Jesus is the refiner's fire that Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 is purifying us and purifying our faith through trial through struggle, through suffering. And he refines us, we're told, so that we will be to the praise and glory of Christ when he returns. And so Peter tells us, don't be caught by surprise. You've got to prepare Have you ever gone up to someone who is struggling with a trial, whether it's a trial of their own making because they have sinned and they've gotten themselves in trouble and and God is working on them, or if the trial is that they have become uh, the victims of persecution, or if their trial is that the diagnosis has been cancer, or if the trial is that they just lost a loved one, have you gone to someone who is in a trial and you said with a smile, but all things work towards good to those who are in Christ and then been shocked when they tell you to shut up? Well, if you said it to me, I probably would say that. Most nice people will just grumble it under their breath. They won't actually say it to you. But that's what they're thinking. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because we don't prepare ourselves when things are good. We don't prepare ourselves for what Christ says is a necessary part of life in him as we wait between the two advents. You are going to have something, more specifically some things, plural, in your life that are tests and trials that are meant to perfect you, and they perfect you like the refiner's fire in which the the fire burns away the impurities. You are going to have this. If you are not preparing for it, while the times are good when it comes upon you you will be caught by surprise and you will say things like well why me why us why is that happening in my life see you're not ready peter tells you be ready prepare yourself so that you're not surprised by what Christ says is a necessary part of your life because it was a necessary part of his, and you are in him. Secondly, recognize the sifting or the testing for what it is. He tells us that the coming judgment, this coming judgment, what we call the eschatological judgment that's coming on the day of the Lord, that's coming when Christ returns, what Peter is telling us here is that this eschatological judgment has already begun. You see, it began in Christ himself. And it continues, we are told here, as judgment begins with the house of God. This is a direct reference back to chapter 2, if you remember, where he tells us that our new identities in Jesus Christ corporately is that we, we are these um, um, the priests, who serve in the temple of God. That we are the part of this house that God is building, one stone upon the next, as all of these living stones are built upon Christ himself. And what it means to be a part of this household of God is that we are already participating in this eschatological judgment. The reality for us and the hope for us is that we experience this in Christ rather than like those who are outside who will have to experience it in and of themselves being in Christ doesn't mean we avoid judgment it means as we talked about in baptism weeks ago we pass through the judgment waters in the safety of the ark of who Christ is for us but make no mistake we go through the waters but we do not go alone and so we have to prepare ourselves, and we have to recognize what the suffering and the trials are when we're in the midst of them. It is a part of, of being in this eschatological judgment and judgment, but in Christ. So we don't despair. We run to our Heavenly Father. We don't get shocked. We remind ourselves, this is part of of being in Christ. And then lastly, he says, trust, trust God and trust yourself to God and keep doing good. When you and I face trials, one of the biggest temptations that we have after we have gone into the woe is me experience is to then check out for a while. Things are hard for me, so I really don't have anything to give right now. But guess what? If you're empowered with the same Spirit of Jesus Christ, what it means is that you do have everything that you need in Christ through the empowering of the Spirit to serve others and keep doing good, even when things are difficult and hard, and when you are tempted to want to crawl up and ball up into yourself and try to avoid things. We all have this experience where we want to avoid the pain, or we respond to the pain by, by, by trying to distract ourselves with our careers or our families, or we distract ourselves with sin sometimes. This is why, beloved, even though those who were in Christ, when they experience this kind of thing, that's why they sometimes turn to drinking sometimes turn to drugs, sometimes turn to these other forms of sin that are so prevalent within our society right now because they want distraction, because they have been caught by surprise and they have, not, they have forgotten what is really going on and they have forgotten the empowerment they have from the Spirit. You may not do this, but I do. And it can manifest itself in me becoming impatient, It can manifest itself in me becoming hopeless. It can manifest itself in me becoming angry. It can manifest itself in me not managing my schedule well. I can go down the list. But beloved, you do it too. The good thing here is that in pointing this out, it's not meant to bring on self-condemnation because what? Christ has already taken your condemnation. So don't hoist something on yourself that he has already lifted off. Instead, be able to recognize the patterns that are going on so that you can respond with acknowledgement. Oh, I got off. But here is my my hope. The Spirit is empowering me. Here is my hope. Jesus has already forgiven this. And so let me go to him, let me repent, let me confess to him and be renewed in who I am in him so that I can keep pressing forward. See, what you don't want to do is deny what you're doing and what you don't want to do is try to work yourself out of what you're doing. You stop. You get your bearings. You remember the empowerment of the Holy Spirit And then you deal with God in a way that reflects how he has already dealt with you. He has loved you. He has led his son to take on flesh for you. His son came and was rejected for you. His son took on your sin upon himself on the cross for you. The son died for you. The son was raised for your justification. So that God what was on his heart from all eternity, to have a people that he would love and would live in his unmediated glory so that God could have what he wanted. And beloved, he wants you. Advent is a time in which we are waiting. And our waiting will consist of difficulty. But ultimately, what we're waiting on is for God to finish his purposes that he started in eternity past of drawing you through his Son to a shared life with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's going to test you, and he's going to try you, and he's going to refine you because his desire is to perfect you. Now, that perfection will not come until the second advent of Jesus Christ. When he is displayed in all of his glory And when you become a trophy to him of his glory in you. And so until that time comes, preach to yourself this participation that you have in the life of Jesus. Participation in his sufferings. Participation in his glory. Participation in the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. So that you will prepare yourselves Uh, so that you will understand what is going on in the midst of of the struggle, and that you will entrust yourself to God and keep doing good, even if the doing of good is the very thing that is bringing your suffering. Because, beloved, that is the life of your Savior. And this Savior has become your life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have acknowledged throughout this liturgy and throughout the singing that life as we anticipate the second advent of Jesus Christ still consists of darkness, it still consists of sin, it still consists of difficulty. Some of that difficulty um, we bring upon ourselves, some of that difficulty is brought upon us. And yet what you have also reminded of reminded us of here this morning, Heavenly Father, is that none of this is a surprise to you. That you have already anticipated all these things and you have already provided everything that we need to endure them well. You have given us a Savior who has come in humility, who was marked by gentleness, who was characterized as one who would not... um, break a bruised reed as one who would provide us everything that is needed so that he would indeed be our righteousness. And so, Lord, help us this Advent season as we, as we celebrate the first coming of Christ to do so in a way that is consistent with his humility. And as we anticipate his second coming, may we do so with his, the hope of his glory so that we indeed as your people in this world would shine as lights not generic lights to goodness but to spe- as specific lights of suffering unjustly and covering that with love so that people who dwell in darkness would see the light of your son Jesus Christ. Convince us, Lord, that being connected to our Savior's suffering, that we will indeed experience his eternal glory. And send us out from here in the confidence of the story of our Savior so that we would entrust ourselves to you. Lord, fill us with a consciousness of your empowering spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.